You're listening to the Slumber Party Podcast with your host, Amanda Jusen, a mum of two girls, a child and infant sleep expert, and general sleep lover. If you're a tired parent who is desperate for answers or just someone who loves sleep, this podcast was created just for you. Each episode is packed full of tips and tricks to help you maintain your sanity as well as your social life during the early stages of parenthood. So grab your headphones, it's time to get comfy. All right, hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Slumber Party Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Jusen. I am very excited today about Samantha Griffin, today's guest, for a multitude of reasons. Um, we have spoken to doulas in the past on this podcast, um, and it, we're going to talk about it again because <laughs> uh, sleeplessness in those early days is real. I personally feel like this is something that we're not talking and preparing mothers enough for. Um, it's kind of a joke, and we'll get into this, Samantha. Um, it's kind of this, like, mean joke. And and then, you know, moms have these new babies, and I have discovery calls with them, and they're like, oh, my God, what has happened? What have I done? But I'd like to introduce Samantha. She's an impassioned woman who unequivocally believes in the voices of women, especially black women, and trusts their decisions regarding their bodies, their children, and their families. As a certified birth doula and postpartum doula and certified childbirth educator, Samantha came to the realization that as one woman, she could only support one woman at any given time. So she multiplied her efforts by founding DC Metro Maternity, a boutique parenting support agency staffed entirely by women of color and became a doula trainer. Samantha is committed to building the wealth and power of black doulas black businesses and the black community as a whole damn oh that's so good i'm like i'm reading your bio and i'm like yes i love it good for you you read it really well like if you want to just do all of the intros that i ever have to have like, I believe that. Yes. <laughs> I'll just, I'll send you the, the clip and then you can just be like, hi, um, I know this isn't your voice, but I need you to play this <laughs> when you're, you're introing me or just don't at all. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, okay. First of all, tell me about your business. You created this yourself. This is all you. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm the owner of a doula agency. Um, We work in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. For anybody who's familiar with the area, we, like, cross these state lines all of the time. Um, And I began working as a doula seven years ago. That still sounds like a long time to me, but (laughs) it's true. Um, For the first few years, it was kind of something I did on the side, Uh, and like a passion project. And then one day I realized I don't actually like working for other people. And that meant I had to create a business. So I didn't become an entrepreneur on purpose, but now it's a huge part of what I love to do and my identity. And then I got busy. (laughs) And One of the things that people know if you've ever hired a doula or have an idea of 
what the point of our work is, especially I will say in the U.S. healthcare system, um, where you know people don't get to really connect with their maternity care providers. You know, you meet your OB, um, and she or he is like one of seven. Even your midwife mm-hmm. might be like one of four or five in our mm-hmm. area, and so people don't get that relationship that they're right. craving. There's not a lot of predictability you don't know who's going to catch your baby or um, you often if you're having a cesarean can know like who's going to perform perform your surgery Um, but yeah there's just not a lot of relationships built into things that's pretty I would see what we're here for and, and if you're in Canada I had I had midwives and I know that when you have midwives you're generally like Unless you're very unlucky, you're going to have one of two for sure catching your baby. Yeah, and that's with how you. we do it. Okay, okay. And then... That's how um, we do it as doulas, but not with the midwives. Oh. If, so I should say if you're doing hospital-based midwives, right. which most of our midwives here are hospital-based. Home birth is a lot less common in the right. U.S. than it is for you all. Um, and yeah, people just don't know who they're going to get. And so... I know that's the case for OBs here. If you have an OB, you could have your OB or whoever's at the hospital, which is why we are, I opted for a midwife because um, I was an anxious pregnant person and I wanted, I was like, I need to have some predictability. I needed to know it's your face or your face. Yes, exactly. And so, like, you sound like my people. (laughs) (laughs) I spend a lot of my life with, like, anxious pregnant folks. And um, as I got busier as a doula, you know, we always have backups. Like, this is the classic doula model. You get me or you get this woman, because we usually are all women, um, that I really trust. But I felt dissatisfied because, like, for my anxiety, when I'm trying to create some predictability, I want to be in control of plan A and plan B. I don't want plan B to be this lady that you trust but that I've never met. And so it just feels better for our clients for us to work in a group. Um, And, yeah, now I have this whole team of women, and it's awesome. (laughs) I love it. They're great. I, I, you and I have a very similar story, actually, that mm-hmm. I am totally an accidental entrepreneur. I was a very happy teacher. I never wanted to leave my job. Um, I taught middle school for the majority of my career, and I just Aww. loved it. And then I got my dream job um, about six years ago at an all-girls school uh, I just really wanted to teach girls and, and focus on mm-hmm. girls' education. And because I was a loud girl growing up, and loud girls in co ed yeah. schools are constantly told to be quiet. So I had a, like, mm-hmm. a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, and I was like, no, let's just teach at an all girls school. <laughs> all girls can be loud. Thank you. My sound editor yes. is like, please stop yelling into the mic. Um, anyway. So, and then I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then I had two babies. um, And, like, I can't can't say, like, oh, my God, I had all these sleep struggles. Honestly, like, I I was obsessed with sleep my whole life. I read up. My first was a great sleeper. My second, by all accounts, also a great sleeper. But, and I've said this so many times, 
no one tells you that when you have two kids, um, you still have the first kid. So, and then there's a second kid and you can't just nap all the time. And I really, I like lost my mind. And then she started sleeping better and it was all good. But then I start to see all of these moms around me, like start to struggle and then stop showing up to like my mommy groups and my workout groups. And then um, two of my friends hired something called a sleep consultant. And I was like, yes, what, what the hell is a sleep consultant? Who like, game I, changer. A, a game changer. So I like learned all about it. I was like, oh, I'll do this. And again, I'll do this on the side. I will, this is just such a passion for me. What a gift to give someone, like I'll do a client a month. And then literally yeah. I, I, I finished my training. I started my business in May of 2017 by September 2017 so four months I had Mm -hmm. to up my prices to make sure people weren't like wanting to purchase me that didn't work (laughs) um by January I was like hey um honey I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown because I'm working two jobs full time accidentally. And so I think, so I gave my notice and then I left and it's been nonstop ever since. And so when people are like, how did you do it? How did you build your business? I'm like, first of all, don't do it like me because I did it all wrong. I worked two jobs, had two kids. It was a friggin' mess for a year. Um, It's all fine now, but like total accidental. But I'm almost wondering if like, that's kind of how the best stuff happens when it's just this passion yeah. project and you want it to like work and you just love what you do so much that you're like, whatever, I'll, um, I'll work for free for this month. I just want to make it happen. I'll, and, and then you like really yeah. create some juicy stuff, you know? Yeah. I think there's something that's really powerful about like just feeling compelled to do it. Like yeah. for me, I, um, I didn't have my own kids, but I just saw that the way that things were going down was not how they should go down. Um, I think the very first time that I can ever remember when people ask me this, like, oh, why did you become a doula? I don't remember thinking much about like birth and like pregnancy until I was in my early 20s. I'm an only child. And I was working with girls in foster care. And um, this was like right out of college, and these were brilliant women. I love loud girls. Yay! <laughs> yes, please <laughs> give me a mouthy woman. Like <laughs> it's my favorite. Oh, I'm stealing uh, that word, mouthy. I haven't heard that in a while. It's it's only been said to me one. about me. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was quiet growing up, but it was because like I thought I had to be good. Um, and so I ended up just like writing a lot. There are still like journals in my mom's house and they're like full of purple ink and madness. And I like raised my hand a lot. So I was like loud in ways that were socially acceptable. Um, but I remember working with these girls who they just were themselves and they were brilliant. And then magically every once in a while one of them would like pop up pregnant and statistically it was like one in three girls at that time in dc's foster care system wow. left at 
by 21, they leave the system. Some leave at 18, but definitely by 21. And one out of three of them had a baby or was pregnant. And so I saw this with like my girls and when they would tell me their birth stories, cause I was nosy and I was curious, um, it sounded so lonely and it sounded so yeah. frustrating. And um, I just remember thinking, well, this isn't how it should be. Like, I know you're young, this wasn't the plan. And still, like, you deserve better. You're so worthy of so much better yes, than this. Yes. Um, yeah. And as I, like, so eventually, like, my friends slowly started to have kids. We tend to take our time in this area. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Don't rush but, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not rushing it. <laughs> but... What I saw was like people who were having kids intentionally, you know, as like adults with jobs, is the story sounded kind of similar. <laughs> like yeah. this lonely, scary thing that's happening to you. And it just didn't seem like how it should be. And so I, I almost feel like I couldn't help but become a doula and then, yeah, like you said, I at first I definitely did it for free. And it was just like, well, someone should help. So I'll help because, you know, that's what you do. And then um, I was working in nonprofits and just got really frustrated by that. And, yeah, I don't recommend people start businesses how I started mine either. Because I kind of... <laughs> exactly. I blew up everything and then was like, okay, well, I guess I got to make it work. We're going to sink or swim. And I don't like the idea of sinking. So let me, let me go for it. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I love it. And I, I can't imagine doing anything else at this point. Um, and I am so glad that I get to help people when they're having babies. And you just, you know, just you talking about that lonely experience, like with yeah. my first, um, I didn't hire a doula. I was kind of uneducated on what a, a doula did. I was like, oh, I have a midwife. I don't need a doula. And then um, I I had the, uh, so my first was two solid weeks late. Okay. So in oh. Canada or in Ontario, I should say. pregnant. Oh my God. You know what? I wasn't even like annoyed by the physical symptoms of pregnancy. I had a great pregnancy. I still have PTSD from the calls every day to ask if the baby was here. Oh I I oh am still so angry and like annoyed. And and I had like um there like I, I was part of a book club for a really long time and uh there was a book club that was like 10 days past my due date. And I was like, oh, I'm not going. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I w was still pregnant. And um, mm -hmm. my friend was like, you should come. And I had a breakdown. I'm like, if anyone asks me why the baby isn't here, I can't do it. I can't do it. And so she's like, okay, so I'm going to go in and I'm going to tell everybody <laughs> just to not even say anything yeah. and don't ask you. And they didn't. And we all had a great, I was so crazy. So anyway, yeah. I'm I'm 14 days late, 
Um, and in Ontario, they let you go that late with when you're with a midwife with uh, frequent mm-hmm. monitoring. So I went for uh, an ultrasound every other day. Baby was doing great, nice and comfy. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. So uh, on the so this is like the Friday. I'm gonna just tell you my story. It all make, it's all coming together. On the Friday, my midwife Love was it. like, I let's try castor oil okay i'm going to tell you how to do it nice and gently we're going to do this together you're not going to have to be induced because i'm very afraid of needles like people are like why did you want a natural birth it's like because i'm afraid of needles it's not because i'm a warrior mom it's not it's because i'm a wimp and i'm afraid of the idea of a needle in my back the end that's the end of that story so then uh, she was like, okay, we'll try the castor oil. And it like she told me how to do it. Not a budge. Nothing. Nothing. Oh. Nothing. So this is the Friday. I mean, stuff happened, but not a baby. Um, I don't okay, recommend I it. Like oh, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> things happen. And don't just take castor oil without midwife uh, guidance or a doula guidance. Absolutely don't not. just, like, chug it. It's a nightmare. So anyway, nothing happened. Uh, Saturday happened nothing. So Monday was my induction date. Um, I show up at the hospital on the Sunday night. They were going to, like, move things along. And I had this uh, OB nurse, and she was like, look how pregnant you are. Who let you be this pregnant? But, 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 you know, they, are you ready for a C-section tonight? These are the words. Oh, whoa. My husband is six foot five, and she looks at him, and she goes, and look at him. Look how big he is. You think that your baby is, and just, I, and she goes, oh, and I bet you're with a midwife who let you go this long. And these are all the things that were said to me. This is uh, 9 p.m. at night. My, shockingly, are you ready for this? My blood pressure goes through the roof. (laughs) Whoa, I can't imagine why. I can't imagine why. Now they're like, maybe you have preeclampsia. We we are not going anywhere. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Well, then I'm resigned to having this baby tonight. Everyone's told me it's happening. We're moving things along. You're being induced right here, right now. Within like 30 minutes, my blood pressure stabilizes. I have no liver enzymes. Everything is fine with me. And they're like, okay, we're just... We're just going to induce you anyway. So I was like, fine, induce me. Again, this is now like midnight. Um, mm-hmm. They induced me. I went to eight centimeters on Pitocin <laughs> okay. without an epidural. Unadvisable, by the way. Okay. I, I finally got the epidural. Um, was mm-hmm. a gorge, like the best day of my life by the way when that epidural hit i was like i i love you to the anesthesiologist but this everybody loves the anesthesiologist love, the, what a great job seriously walking around being like you get a drug you get a drug you feel good there you go there you go bye uh, it's amazing and they're usually funny too they're like, great they're usually, you know joking and they're having a great time and the rest of us are like sweating like oh god we've been here three days a hundred percent so all this to say, all this experience I'm having, 
my midwife is like, call me when the baby is there. Like it's the middle of the night or call me when you're close. We don't know how close you are. And like she she totally came. She was there at 5 a.m. She caught the baby. It was awesome. But between the hours of 12 and 5, I was alone in a hospital room with about three different nurses who felt like they didn't really give a shit. They also didn't like we weren't aligned in what I wanted. I probably may have changed my pain management, um, but they also were like surprised at my education around it. I was like, why are you upping my Pitocin when I'm clearly in labor and things are moving and I'm progressing? And she's like, okay, I'll turn it down. Mm -hmm. But like, thank God I knew that. If you didn't, you would have just been. And I, so for my second, we did hire a doula. Cause I was like, if this happens again, I, I need someone yeah. that isn't like my terrified husband. And like if he had to go pee or anything. And my husband was great. But my husband doesn't. Yeah. My husband knows as much as I do, which is not a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can only expect, like, we don't choose our partners because they're really good at childbirth. That's not a thing. Never in the history of mating and pairing up. It's like, that's why we chose them. That's the quote, and, by the know, way. Even... <laughs> Thank God we don't. That's not why we them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's okay. And honestly, like when I, and I'm going to pick on the men because I don't see this as much with women. Like if your wife is in labor, I think that you must look over at her and just think like, wow, isn't she amazing? And also, oh my God, is that what it's supposed to look like? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So you can see it all on their face. And that's not particularly helpful if you're in the midst of contractions or surges or, you know, whatever we're calling them yeah. for your particular birth plan. If you're in it and you've got all the sensations um, or, you know, heaven forbid, they have to go in with not a lot of information to a surgical birth if you're having a cesarean like they don't know what's going on and I think that we expect them to just know magically when we don't even tend to know it creates these really lonely experiences that Mm -hmm. like my my spiel about it is also that like this is one day of your life but very similarly to a wedding like it's practice in some ways for what comes next yeah. And once you guys are in it, like you're setting up in part at least how your parenting relationship is gonna go together. Yeah. This is gonna impact like what the rest of your family looks like. And yeah. so yeah, sure, you can tough it out and do it on your own and you can do it with the drugs or without the drugs and it can absolutely be beautiful. And also, you can get some help. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds better to me. I, honestly, I have to say, like, it's so hard to explain. I, well, you can probably physically say this is what a doula does. But for me, the emotional support, the physical support that my, like, my second birth, literally, I, I just, I have pictures of, like, like, uh, I, it was a beautiful sunny day. I did it drug free because I I didn't 
like until the very end I was like oh they're like oh the baby's coming I'm like what and that that hurt I wish I did have the drugs for that part but leading up to that I legitimately did feel fine because I had all it was such a wonderful experience okay I I like to keep this podcast to a half an hour because mums Oh, are, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I feel like we need like four hours. And I say this with all my guests lately. But I I want to talk about specifically what you're doing um, for women, uh, black women and black birth. And I, I just as a in, in the whole Black Lives Matter, I mean, pandemic of race, everything that's coming out. I am learning a lot as a white woman of privilege. And I was shocked and horrified by some of the stats uh, about black birth. This is something I had no idea about. I am I'm getting emotional even thinking about it. And this is just something that's been happening. And uh, someone who is in this industry, I would love for you to tell us what you're seeing. Yeah. So um, I I do want to make it clear to your listeners that like I'm seeing from a U.S. perspective um, and things are different in Canada. Um, I don't know all of the stats, but, you know, when you have a different racial makeup, then, of course, things are different. And who I would imagine um, maybe gets the brunt of you all's health disparities is probably um, Native or I think the preferred terminology there is uh, First Nations people. I, it, I, um, I think it's ever-changing, but I think right now Indigenous yeah. populations is probably uh, the most common okay. phrase. But I I think every it's like interchangeable and some yeah. people are going to be comfortable with different terminology. But I think you're exactly yeah. right. I think in Canada it's going to look, um, you know, it's going to look like a lo- this over a lot of different races like we have yeah. um a huge BIPOC uh population in Canada so like lots of different people without white skin essentially but indigenous populations yeah. um are definitely bearing the brunt absolutely yeah and um I mean here you know what happens for black women is that we are three to four, depending on the year that you pulled stats for us, like three to four times more likely to die in childbirth or in the early postpartum period. Um, and I mean, that just looks like people planning to grow their family and then not everybody makes it. And it's awful and it's scary. And where I work in DC specifically, um, we, Currently, um, well, I guess it's about time for another round of stats. (laughs) So maybe it's gotten better. I don't know. I always hold out hope. But um, in 2017, I believe, is the last set of stats that I looked at. Um, We were the worst in the nation for uh, maternal mortality for black women. And so what that means for people getting pregnant who look like me is that like as soon as you google like black women pregnant in the u.s um and of course you know google has all of their geography stuff set specifically to dc so like you get like three washington post articles that are horrifying so you want to talk about like a lonely 
scary experience, you know, first people have to figure out, okay, I'm sharing my body with this person who I assume I'm going to love, but I haven't met you yet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then we're going into childbirth and it's like, okay, I've only heard that that hurts. And I mean, to be fair, like I'm not the kind of doula who lies to you about that. <laughs> Looks like it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> Right. But you forget yeah, you forget true. about it, thankfully, because people exactly. keep doing this. <laughs> right. People keep doing it. Um, but yeah, so people like are already experiencing fear around just plain old birth and pregnancy and then like what happens after. Um, and, you know, the shift in identity that comes and the sleep deprivation that people have heard about. And then you add this extra layer of like, Am I even going to be there to be sleepless with my child? Um, and so what it creates is a lot of anxiety, this feeling of helplessness and powerlessness. And that's a terrible way to become a mom. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's unfair and unreasonable. And so the work that we do is a lot of it... Um, it's very similar to how I imagine other doulas work in that, you know, we're trying to help people find their voice and figure out like, what is it that you actually want mm -hmm. out of this experience? Mm -hmm. um, but we're also really working to cut through a whole lot of fear and help people create better relationships <laughs> with their OB or their midwife and their partners so that it really does feel like a team yeah. And we can like bring back some sense of safety. Yeah. I think that without a feeling of safety, I mean, it's one of the reasons why like when new parents are up all night, my question as a postpartum doula is always, okay, you're up, is the baby sleeping? Because like, I think that sense of safety sometimes gets lost there too, where you're just like watching this little person that you yeah. made yeah. and it's like, okay, yeah. Are you still breathing? You haven't moved. Wait, yeah. you're not crying. Should you be crying? <laughs> um, there's, there's the same sense of like unknown and confusion and um, people just want everybody to live, which is a very basic human right, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it feels like my life's work is to really make it so that we can just have a baby. Don't I, well, and I like in Canada, we have some pretty horrific stories about indigenous um, women being sterilized after birth yeah. or um, just just wild stories or like the baby yeah. being taken away. And I can imagine that this just creates a total mistrust of the people helping you. So you're in a situation where, well, you know, everyone who looks like me has this experience. So I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you when I'm not feeling good. And because what are you yeah. going to do about it? Like, really, are you here for me? Who are you here for? Like, where do yeah. you like I, I am trying to wrap my head around like <clears throat> a lot of the stats that I read coming out of the U.S. and, and for BIPOC communities is that the infant mortality rate is higher, the m maternal m mortality rate is higher, the chances of the child making it to their first birthday are, are lower than white populations. Yes. So like, 
what what is the get like I'm 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 trying to wrap my head around is it that medical professionals are not listening are they not taking the the like what's happening is it a lack of resources is it all of it and you, like from are you seeing this it's, yeah so it's, it's all of it and it's kind of complicated so what i talk to people about is like there are things that we can control and things that we can't control um the things that we can control and a lot of my clients you know since it is a paid service have done all the things that they can do like they've gotten education they've hired a doula um and a lot of times like generally in their life they've gotten education they're making good incomes but what we see and it's really clear in like the dc area is that unfortunately education and income so like access to resources and you know, decent health insurance don't actually change things as much as you would think. Um, And so then, okay, the next thing we look to are the doctors and the midwives and like, are people listening? And absolutely, like I've been in the same hospital systems with white clients and black clients um, and other persons of color. And then sometimes like the birthing person is a person of color and her partner is not. And so I, I see what happens when he's in the room and out of the room. And so I, crazy. yeah, it's um, when you know what to look for and you can be objective, it actually is really obvious that some of the biases that I think a lot of us hope don't exist, they Oh, shoot. Okay, go for it. Okay, so yeah, I've been in hospitals um, and in the same hospital with a white client and a black client and seeing the differences. Um, and sometimes even if the person giving birth is say a black woman and her partner is a white guy, the difference even when he goes to her appointments with her and when he doesn't, Um, You know, people have shared that. And so I think that there's a lot of bias that medical providers don't realize that they carry. Mm -hmm. Um, Like lots of people don't realize. Yeah. And while I don't believe that anyone goes into obstetrics or midwifery and thinks like, I don't want to take care of my patients. I, I don't believe in the big bad doctor. I do think that what we're all reckoning with in, I'll say North America, is like that we have to deal with racism and we have to deal with unconscious bias and the beliefs that people have about one another that have gone unchecked. 
Um, and so that's one of the things that we really work to help our clients manage um, because you see your provider throughout pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so while unfortunately you're often rotating through multiple providers in the same practice, uh, people often do get a sense of whether they're being heard mm-hmm. and respected and listened yeah. to and when you're not. Yeah. And I think that um, as women generally, we're often taught to ignore those gut feelings. So true. Uh, and I think it's even truer when you add on a layer of race or, you know, any other like thing that makes you a little more marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we tap back into those feelings, then we're often better off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I tell, I tell people like, if you don't believe that someone hears you and believes you now, when you are perfectly rational and don't have floods of hormones and your uterus isn't doing a whole thing, <laughs> then <laughs> it's not going to get better on the big day. Yeah. Um, and then I also like, I also have to acknowledge the part of all of this that we can't control when it comes to um, inequities in healthcare. And that's the fact that like, Living as a black person in the U.S. exposes you to a lot of extra stress. I mean, you and I are talking after, like, a hard week racially for me, I guess. I know, I know. I don't know know a better way to put it. I mean, it's been been an insane year. Um, And, you know, every time there's something in the news where someone isn't arrested that that should have been or... Uh, there's a murder by someone that like we should be able to trust to keep the peace in our community is like you can't help but feel it and and just like in your story when like the nurse is saying all of these shitty things excuse me I curse sometimes oh please (laughs) fuck 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 we all swear this is an explicit post uh, podcast I can't help myself I thought so but I was like wait I didn't ask um but yeah so like it's it's been a shitty year and when you see that you know you can't help but experience it in your body yeah and I think we're even more sensitive in pregnancy but throughout the course of your life if every few months you're having something raise your blood pressure or you're going into jobs where you also don't feel trusted and heard and respected and you have to work a lot harder to create a good life for yourself that impacts your body as well and so there are parts of the maternal mortality like health inequities that we all have to acknowledge it's going to take a couple of generations yeah yeah because like this amount of stress and um, racism and just unhealthiness like one person with her doctor can't necessarily fix that. Yeah. What we can do is absolutely make sure that she's heard and trusted. And if something goes wrong, that someone's paying attention to her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so well said. And I we talk a lot on this podcast about the impacts of stress. Um, just, you know, yeah. we talk about sleeplessness and people think sleeplessness is this rite of passage in parenting. 
but that it should not be exactly and it causes stress and stress is felt in the body and if you are a you know especially a black woman in the u.s right now or um any person a person in the bipoc community in canada that has to be adding a layer of anxiety and just i think it's like I mean, this has been my biggest learning through this whole, you know, uprising. I've always felt like a really woke, progressive person. And I was like, oh, you don't know Uh actual shit. Like, I grew up poor, like, and I grew up, you know, feeling marginalized because people would judge my family. And I was like, oh, no, I really identify with these communities and I am always such a champion and then I'm like I actually don't know shit because this skin is such a pass and such a stress reliever that I don't have to like carry on there's a I feel like your skin color in certain parts of the world dictate like I feel like you have a compartment in your brain that I don't have that has to deal with bullshit that you must deal with because of your (laughs) skin color. And this is the thing that like, I feel like white people don't uh, or haven't understood in the past. It's like, no, no, no. Like I grew up poor and I didn't, I, I didn't have any opportunities and look at me. It's like, no, this is literally a passport to whatever you want, this skin color. And like the fact that you didn't have shit every step of the way and doubt every step of the way means you don't have that part in your brain. It's so different. Um, and so I can only imagine how that plays in the body and, and like what that manifests. And we talk about like, I'm really interested in like epigenetics and like, um, intergenerational trauma. Like this is just Mm -hmm. passed on learned behaviors and absolutely it's going to take a long time for, but it's possible. I know it's possible, but it's, it is going to take a long time. It's not going to be, it's not going to be like January. We're back. We're fine. Right. Racism's <laughs> gone, guys. It's gone. <laughs> I mean, if we could make that happen, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I've been saying to folks all summer is like, oh, okay, welcome to the party. Strap in. It's a long <laughs> yeah. ride. <laughs> I feel like every, I mean, every person, every, you know, black woman or black person is like, oh, hi. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> We've been dealing with this shit forever. It's real. And yeah. um, I, it's like, in, it's embarrassing. And all I can say is I'm committed to doing better now that I know. And uh, it's, you know, this is, uh, yeah, it is what it is. And yeah. it's all about forward for me. Like, what can I do now yeah. that I, and I feel like legitimately, and I think in Canada especially, we're so multicultural and mm-hmm. there's a myth here that like, oh, racism, it's like, it, it's here but only in some places and it's only like an undercurrent. Yeah. And it's, well, look how multicultural we are. Look how many like brown people are in the same room. Look, and like yeah. all in it, but it's like, yeah, but is it like I think it like allows right. white people this like pass to be like no 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 I'm Canadian it's fine like we're not racist here it's like, <laughs> that's bullshit. Well, like so I have some 
I have some Canadian friends and I, I absolutely think that I also think that like in some of the East coast cities in the U S like, you know, people think similar things. Um, I definitely grew up in a place where like, it is totally normal to be middle or upper class and black Mm -hmm. in the DC area. Um, and so people think like, Oh, everything is fine. You know, Oprah exists. Now we've had Obama. It's great. Like all of the TV shows that wind up on Netflix, um, from Canada are very like diverse. I don't know if I've ever seen one that stars white people actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that says something about like what Netflix offers me. I'm not sure what you all have <laughs> up there. But. I don't know. Like, but, um, it, it, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you were to turn on the news, it is like all of mm-hmm. every. It, I think that most broadcasting companies are like they make a really great effort to for representation for sure. Yeah, um, and representation like, is important, but it doesn't like the compartment and I I like your description, this compartment where like you spot the bullshit, you decide how you're going to deal with it. Like that just is, it's just like background noise to me. Like there are things where like, if I'm with someone who is white and like notices stuff or like um, I've been in Facebook comment threads and like, I don't even notice it anymore. I'm just like, Oh yeah okay, this is bullshit. This is my standard response to that bullshit. Meanwhile, like, <laughs> my friend is, like, enraged on my behalf. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, you still have the energy to get pissed about this. Okay, well, that, cool. and, and what you is go that? But this, I feel like even as, like, I mean, white women, we know we have the woman compartment. So we yeah. know what that feels like. And yeah. how often do we walk around subduing our behavior mm-hmm. for men or, like, making ourselves small or changing what we were going to say or laughing a little bit yeah. more? We have that fucking compartment. So we could maybe understand, like, imagine having two of that. And just mm-hmm. that's, I think, the thing that... Um, that, that like gets me a little bit, like I have people, you know, write me on my Facebook, like coming back about like anything I post about black lives matter. And I just want to be like, fuck right off. I have no time for this. I have no time (laughs) for this conversation. It's not something like you and I can really understand. Let's just do what we can to support and, and shut up and learn mostly. And, Mm. and like, uh, you you couldn't even, it's like a man. I, I was going to say a story, but I'm not going to say it on this podcast. Um, (laughs) but it's men, teaching women about their bodies or like, yeah. you know, at another point I had like a, a male gynecologist who was a dick. And I was like, cause yeah, you I had one of those vagina. So how mm-hmm. are you supposed to tell me about what this feels like? Don't tell me that right. my are painful. You don't even know yeah. what I'm talking about anyway. So right. thinking- unless you've had a speculum that should have been warmed, shoved up, Anyway, <laughs> well, this is it, and like so, this is like when white people go to tell the BIPOC community anything. I just yeah. want to like just be quiet. I mean, I hope I'm not doing that ever, but like just be quiet. Just yeah, anyway. yeah. I've I've taken to just telling people like not now, like just <laughs> not now. Just 
Give us a minute. We will come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for I could talk to you for hours. In fact, I feel like I'm just going to, we should connect again. uh, Let's do it. Mother stuff. Um, But this was so, so great. I'm so glad that we chatted. Now, obviously, um, I do have quite a few American listeners. So if you are in the D.C. area, please find Samantha or maybe just move. Um, <laughs> what was like? <laughs> We're actually not this bad in this okay. area, but frankly, if you're coming from Canada to the U.S. Oh, while no. COVID is still a thing, no, like I don't here. recommend that. Like, stay where you are. See you in 2022. A hundred percent. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us for this edition of the slumber party podcast um samantha where can people find you if they want to learn more about you awesome thanks for asking um i am at dc metro um would love to have you and thanks so much for having me i love the podcast um, and i had a great time thanks thank you <laughs> bye samantha bye thanks <laughs>